So I was going through some old posts and I saw one from 2004 about when I had just gotten LASIK. And I, I am due for new LASIK. I need to go. I need to get that sorted out. Do you think you'd be too old for LASIK? That's, this is my turn. Can you get it again? I don't know if I've heard people doing it twice. Because yeah. the, the, guy, the guy who gave it to me first was like, oh, you got you to gotta come back in at some point and get it, get it redone. Um, so that sounds awesome. I mean, hopefully I can get it done again. Otherwise, I'm going to have to figure out what kind of glasses fit good on my face, which is that's, that seems like a, a trial. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. See, and see what else you can do. I saw someone on the tube and I'm going to have to be that person who's got the glasses on their head to like look down at their phone or something, or mm-hmm. I don't know. This is, this Could is be a look. opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I always am a little bit envious of folks who get to wear glasses and, and it's like having this extra fashion accessory that I'm like, huh. well, I don't really, I don't have to pick those out. There's some good statement ones. I feel like, you know, get like, like red rims, yeah. you know, just really distract everyone in the room. Yeah, when I when I want to start my Seth Godin uh, consulting life up. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. By, by by way of introduction, so when I, when I'm in the uh, the 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 dark night, so to speak, of uh, of vision correctiveness, I've got some doubts. Special guest, who am I going to call up to give me some counseling that is actually great that I've got new accessory. So wait, 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 you're asking the person who has never been to an optometrist no, for you, you had a very optimistic take on wearing glasses. So I feel like I could talk to you and you could oh. be awesome, but, but tell people who you are first. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm Dormain, Dormain Drewitz and I'm, I'm a, I'm a pivot and I'm, this is a crossover episode cause that's right. I'm one of the co-hosts for every other week now. Um, you know, used to be a totally separate pivotal insights podcast. And then we merged them. Um, I was and thinking as I was introducing you, you may remember her from last episode or the one. You- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't think my voice is too unfamiliar, but you never know. But this is, I think our first crossover. This is like Batman visits Scooby-Doo sort of territory. Like this was, this is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking like there was um, an episode of Wow in the World when there's that's the children's science podcast we listen to at home. Um, and then there was the, the, the merry making musical storytelling children's podcast also on NPR. And there was a crossover episode about synesthesia. Um, and that was that was my first introduction into the world of crossover podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, just as a, a short uh, footnote, the wow in the world's pretty great podcast. It's yeah, it's a good stuff. It's uh, what, what I think my favorite phrase, of course, Mindy has all the great yes. things, other than like, you know, oh, where's my kale? Like the other guy. <laughs> but uh, but her, my favorite phrase that I try to use as much as possible, which is to say very rarely is like, of course, I don't know what I'm doing. I think. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> my kids have internalized that. And uh, for better, for worse. And so I'm very familiar with that phrase. And it's, it's great. I think it, it, it introduces, you know, you can have confidence in your uncertainty. Um, and just as much as you can have confidence in your certainty, That's right. which is probably more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And the gingerbread house. Anyways, we should have a whole another fan fiction podcast about wow in the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, we need a we need a Reggie like oh, yeah. Reggie the pigeon. We don't have like a, a animal character who shows up and helps us sort of explore new territory. This is- um, I don't I mean, pigeon was a pretty good one, but 
Um, yeah, we need to sort of explore that a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I bet if you there's a hamster. I bet if you got three people from marketing together, they could figure out a good, a good match. Some kind of animal. Right. Yeah, not a mouse. That's taken. Yeah. I'm looking at Richard's shirt right now. <laughs> It's very disarming of people. Well, before, so we had, we have you on, uh, to talk about podcasts and, uh, and also, uh, CF summit North America is coming up and I think you've got a good yes. overview of what's going on there and you've been working on it here and there. So I wanted to talk about that, uh, afterwards, but first as always, Richard, what is mm-hmm. exciting news in this space? Other than, let me just insert the first one. I'm here in London. I, I find that every time I'm in London walking around the tubes, I get a sense of movies that are coming out because, you know, I have no idea since I'm uh, someone who needs glasses. But there's this movie Shazam coming out. I don't know what's mm-hmm. up with that. Yeah. It looks like something. There's gum and an Android phone involved. So uh, we'll have to see. Mm. But outside of, outside of Shazam, what, what's the news? I was going to say, yeah. wasn't that a Shaq movie from the 90s? That was like, Kazam. Oh. No, that, that was, no, there was a Shazam uh, I don't know. This is the superhero, of which I did have the action figure. So I am looking forward to the movie. Ah, yes. Yeah. Uh, so news besides Shazam related news. Uh, so the first one was, you know, I wanted to get your take on uh, how you feel about foundations, especially as we have the CF summit coming up, but a lot of foundation stuff last week. So there was a new continuous delivery foundation launched that uh, included things like Spinnaker Jenkins, put their Jenkins X thing, I believe in that foundation. Also, a couple of Node and JavaScript foundations merged. I guess that's a crossover. And then the GraphQL Foundation joined forces and kind of partnered with another. They got a bunch of new members, including Amazon. So big foundation week. I don't know. Are either of you, uh, what do you think of foundations without being maybe too, uh, too edgy? But do you like the sort of open source foundation thing? Do you think that we have too many? I don't know. Domain feelings? I mean, I... I have a, a great experience working with the Cloud Foundry Foundation. Um, you know, it's, it, it, I think as with the open source projects and then you've got vendors and, you know, it provides this kind of third party, um, uh, you know, institution, right. That can provide certain functions. And if you look at even like the, the closed source proprietary world, you end up with things like, you know, the Oracle independent user group or the VMware user group. And these, you know, you know VMUG is like, it's a, it's its own entity, right. It's a sort of separate legal entity and it's, you know, by, by users for users and they put on events and, you know, they just sort of provide this sort of external sounding board. And so it sort of seems like in my experience, it seems like the, the foundations sometimes provide kind of that structured non-vendor, um, sort of entity that can help organize those types of things that in the proprietary world, you would have just had, you know, the, the quote unquote independent user group. Interesting. That's a, that's a thorough answer. Mm -hmm. Anything else to add to it, but yeah, that's a, yeah. You know what I've observed over the, and let me proceed to add something to it. Uh, What what I, what I've observed over the years, starting like Apache software foundation and the Eclipse foundation is uh, yeah. What Dormain was saying, you just have like this structure added to everything. And uh, that I think is very helpful. And I think the other thing, and you would see this, especially, I don't know if I've, I haven't paid attention to foundations this carefully, this closely, but I remember, especially back with Eclipse and ASF, there was a lot of talk about their, their culture 
and mm-hmm. like the process of and how their process affected or their culture affected their process, right? Like with the ASF, you have this idea of like, this is a good place to do whatever kind of like project of high quality that's basically run in, let's call it a second generation open source thing where we've got kind of like a um, controlled meritocracy. Meritocracy kind of has a bad name nowadays, but it's sort of like technical excellence and we will gate that community versus like, the, the first wave of open source was like, you know, the one crazy person who had all the time to do this code and sometimes it would work. And then you could also just have like whatever, like doing it. And then, uh, so the ASF was good for that. And then, it, and then it was to contrast it, Eclipse was interesting because they were, they, I always liked how like blatant they were about like, basically uh, open source vendors want to open source their software and host it here. And that's what we do. And then they go make money off of it. And it was just like, boom, straight up. Uh, and so, I don't know. I think I think kind of codifying how your your project is going to live and what its mores are. The foundation helps you do that, and I guess nowadays they put on conferences, things like that. From what I can tell, sure. No, I mean that, that that's all fair. Sometimes it seems like it's a great PR move for those projects, and the actual contributor mode doesn't change. The sort of oversight doesn't really change. You've just kind of gotten some more people to notice your thing versus fundamentally handing it off or things like that. So. But it's fine. I think as long as you're healthily cynical about things like that, yeah. it's probably okay. There's always deviousness that can go on. That's fine. But I mean, I guess the other like tangential thing is like, uh, yeah, I, like the, the, the role of uh, the role of how the long-term life of open source components that are used by everyone. I'm, I'm not sure what's up with that nowadays. Not, I mean, there's multiple mm. ways of handling of, of how that's handled nowadays, but it's almost like uh, what's the old metaphor, the Cambrian explosion. There's a lot of options that eventually need to narrow down because it used mm-hmm. to be going back to my uh, uh, old person thing. It used to be, it was like you're, you're an Apache or Eclipse or SourceForge and that's open source. Whereas nowadays it's like, or you might be at a commercial company, or you might be at a foundation, or you might be in Git, or you might be over here, or it might be that Netflix project or whatever. And so there's not like, there's a huge amount of things. And so maybe foundations can help out with that. They can kind of recognize what, what that looks like. Good. Well, speaking of foundations, the uh, next piece of news was something that's in a foundation. So Steel Toe 2.2, we give, gave that to the .NET Foundation last year. Uh, this is that toolkit for, for people building .NET core, .NET framework microservices. So 2.2 just shipped. There's a link to the blog. Uh, I think we put in the show notes and some new stuff in there. If you're connecting the MongoDB, new health indicators for just kind of inst- instantly instrumenting your applications, client-side load balancing. So some neat stuff in there. If you're a .NET dev, you should absolutely be upgrading. And I believe there's even some .NET and Windows stuff hanging out at CF Summit this year. So even if that wouldn't have usually been your jam, and you wouldn't go to CF Summit to learn that stuff. You can this year. You can you can jam it in there. How how's how's sales of your book going? You have you gotten that? Uh, is it going to be Caribbean or East Coast of Africa island retreat? <laughs> yeah, at this point, I think it's Denny's uh, for Good. for the uh, royalties for that. Eggs over my hammy. Is it the late night menu or are you going prime time? Like, I mean, I think because of that initial upfront, I think we can prime time it, and everyone gets their own drink. Yeah. You and side of gravy for everyone. <laughs> That's right. Doesn't matter what you're eating. Get some biscuits and gravy right there. Put it in your iced tea. <laughs> I was excited. Uh, I went to a place that said it was an American restaurant last night, and I thought, yeah. oh, have iced tea, unsweet iced tea, no such luck. 
So, okay, this is something that I am struggling with as well, because I'm a big unsweetened iced tea drinker. And last time I was in Switzerland, I was I was actually worried that they just would not have any concept of iced tea. And I went to the convenience store near the the conference center and I found like 12 different varieties of iced tea in this random Swiss uh-huh. convenience store, but they were all sweetened varying degrees. Yes. But they were, they all had some kind of sucker, right? Yeah, like very frustrating. It's very- so, and then when I go to Australia, it's the same thing. Like they only have piles of sugar in iced tea. And it's yep. like, have, have you guys not realized that you can just sell it without adding the sugar and you can probably get the same price yeah, and it's this is very, lower very, cost for you. I suffer from this all the time. So I, I, uh, I experience your pain. It's terrible. Okay. I wasn't sure if this is like an all over Europe thing or just, no, I was only paying attention in Switzerland. I think unsweetened iced tea only exists. I think from maybe the Mississippi, probably to like the Pacific. And, and I think maybe even once you get up to Kansas, it disappears. And basically, <laughs> it's basically the unsweetened iced tea region of the world. Uh, I'm thinking maybe we need an iced tea, an unsweetened iced tea foundation to just yes. raise some awareness and maybe bring some structure to how folks are thinking about and contributing to the unsweetened iced tea movement. I think that's true. We should sort that out. We need to have a, do they have birds of a feather community management at CF summit? Well, I would be happy to lead one. (laughs) Yeah. Don't track. So, so then also in news, I Mm -hmm. wasn't on my other podcast, uh, software defined talk last week, but they talked about this as the interesting open source business model thing. It looks like F5 by NGINX. Did I say that right? NGINX, you got it. Yes. So you got the big load balancer company, bought the big open source load balancer thing that everyone seems to use. Yeah. Yeah. I park in the F5 building, so I need them to be successful because the parking rates are reasonable. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you look at a company that's historically well-known for hardware and software and and sort of things on-premises, taking what is, you know, at this point, the most dominant web hosting server and kind of routing tier and engine X. So it's an interesting acquisition. It's probably a great exit for, for engine X, but again, you just use, I think it continues to make people wonder like, what is that open source? Like if you're a company built around an open source product, especially something that dominates the on-prem tier as nobody in the public cloud has any sort of network component that plugs into something like that. So does that get all commoditized? I don't need those sort of components moving forward. Is my best exit to partner with these massive, massive on-prem software companies? Is that the future of, of open source products? I guess we'll see for that tier, but great exit for them. It just, again, draws more question as to, you know, what's the long-term future for a company built around open source middleware or database or open uh, operating systems? Yeah, yeah. It'd be a good, I, I mean, as I always say, as always happens when I say things like this, I probably won't ever actually do it, but it'd be a good case study of the long, like the post acquisition life of the business of an open source thing. Cause I mean, I realize F5 does, a, you know, more than just load balancing, but it's pretty sure. like, it's they're pretty much their core business. It's the thing that they do. Mm-hmm. The next is the same way. So it's pretty easy unless they suddenly add all sorts of other things. You can kind of directly see how, uh, how it all fits in and how it, how it pieces together, but that'll be fun. Yeah. That company has been around for, for a long time. No doubt. Yeah. And then also in the open source world, it looks like uh, Amazon has its own. Now, did I, did I understand this right? Amazon has its own Elasticsearch distro. 
I never, I always read this stuff too late in the night. And so I don't read it in detail to figure it out, but I think it's their own distribution, right? For the most part. Yeah. So I mean, this, this dusted up, I'm doing a meetup tomorrow night on whether the cloud kills open source. So this was good fodder for that. But the, uh, but the gist of it seems like Amazon says, you know, they already run Elasticsearch as a service, right? They already run that as a managed service. They've done that for a while, but the stuff from last week was, Hey, you know, the way Elastic's been building this is they've been commingling some of the open source with the proprietary. It just confuses people. So we've created a distribution, we Amazon, that kind of includes everything. It's, here's the open source. Here's things we've added that were kind of proprietary things from Elastic that were mixed in. We've put all that in the open source domain. Uh, domain. I, I always, this kills me when domain's on the call. I say domain <laughs> instead of domain. Uh, I apologize at the beginning. I'm sorry. I know. It's a big problem. Uh, but the idea is having that is more or less a distribution. You can call it a fork. Is it a fork or not? You know, will those upstream changes that Amazon is proposing get accepted by Elastic? So it's, it's murky at this point on, on where that's going to go. Amazon says, look, we're doing a service. We're trying to, mud, you know, clear up the muddy waters of the, the source code in Elasticsearch. Elastic says this is kind of, you know, tricky behavior by a cloud provider who keeps extinguishing interesting open source products. So it just probably continues to draw to the forefront this question of how am I supposed to monetize open source middleware and database and things in this cloud era? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the answer to all that is. That, that'll that be, I, I mean, I guess it's mostly determined by uh, if everyone moves their infrastructure to public cloud, then it makes that possible. But Yeah. It's. I always think of it as the. Uh, do y'all ever read that Everything Store book about Amazon? There's a good. Uh, there's a good no. chapter or so on diapers.com, which you can kind of read the Wikipedia entry of uh, a little bit of what happened. This probably. I bet. I bet from that era, there's a Fast Company article. <laughs> it was Fast Company was uh, wrote up everything. I just dug up a good 2012 Fast Company one. It hit the spot. It's just well, what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do y'all remember the industry standard in the early 2000s? That would, oh, yeah, you, yeah, that red herring, a lot of those ones I used to read. Red herring. Anyways, uh, yeah, yeah. sorry, I'm getting distracted again. <laughs> now we're going we're gonna to talk about like uh, fish or something. That's right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like, like there's, there's, a, there's a good story. Well, one, th- one thing that's great about the everything store is pretty consistently it describes the core strategy playbook of Amazon and what they do. And there's one chapter on diapers.com where, uh, basically, uh, I, I don't know, they wanted to acquire diapers.com or they were, they both wanted to sell diapers. Um, and so essentially what, what Amazon did is they basically ratcheted up their own diaper selling part to kind of, uh, compete with, with the thing they wanted to do. And so I don't know, I mean, diapers, are not open source. As far as I know, we could have saved a lot of money. Uh, maybe we'd have to implement them. Oh Lord, help us if diapers become open source. Yeah. Yeah. More like open source probably. Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep that close. So, so there's some slightly different dynamics, but it is, it is, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get to is in a cloud sort of business environment, this kind of move is probably to be expected, which I don't know. I guess the main concern as an end user you would have is, does this like stifle innovation from either side, right? Like, does it make people stop producing code and then, or not, or I don't know. It'll be, this is like the third type of thing like this that happened, right? So maybe I right. don't know what it looks like. 
Yeah. No, it's I mean, good. The confusion, the confusion doesn't seem to help. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I think if you're trying to build a business, no matter what build business you're in, you should be focusing on, you know, what are the pain points of my customers that I can help them with? Mm-hmm. And make sure you're solving that as opposed to let me build what I think you want, which is support for an open source project over here. And then you're going to be kind of caught up in the whiplash between well, now there's potentially a fork over here. And it's like, well, at the end of the day, what does your customer actually need you to do? Um, and, and what, what's painful for them? I don't, it's, that's my kind of, uh, lazy girl, yeah, you know, yeah. business school of hard knocks or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You don't want to have one of those mommy and daddy are fighting situations. <laughs> well, Speaking of foundations and open source and birds, Dormain, what's what's up with with Cloud Foundry Summit this year in, in, uh, in North America? What have, what have you been doing with it other than uh, eagerly awaiting for it to happen? Yeah. Um, uh, so what was interesting this year for me, so I've, I've been one of the co-chairs for the Cloud Foundry and the Enterprise Track for the last couple of um CF summits, both, both the North America and, and Europe. And this year they, they changed some things. There was always, I think a bit of a challenge where the call for papers wasn't or call for proposals, whatever. I never what the, know what the P is supposed to stand for. Um, the, the call for proposals was around use cases. And then those would funnel into like ones that my co-chair and I would be reviewing and you definitely, we would find a lot of great cloud foundry and the enterprise stories in there, but there'd be a lot of other really good stuff too. And we would be kind of working to get those into, into the review cycles for other tracks. So what they did this time is they actually changed what the, the tracks were. And what was interesting is there's really actually several different places where I think the types of stories from end users, like I'm, I'm just really interested always in hearing from, you know, it's, it's important to get the latest updates from contributors and folks who are really um, deep in the technology. But to me, it's just kind of my background. I'm always interested in hearing from people who are actually kicking the tires and using the thing. So, this year, there's a user stories track. So that was one that I co-chaired with um, Burn from, from SAP. But then there was also Cloud Foundry for business, Cloud Foundry for developers, Cloud Foundry for operators, um, and a Cloud Foundry 101 track. And really, all of those are going to have end-user stories woven into them, um, and but with kind of whatever the flavor of that track is about. So there's some really great ones. You know, obviously, Cloud Foundry for business is sort of another really natural spot for some of these end-user stories to come up. So Dick Sporting Goods has, um, has a, a really interesting-looking talk in there about this kind of mad dash to uh, the holiday selling season. And so I think this is you know, a good, good track to look at if you're trying to connect those dots between the technology and the effort to how this is actually going to help me in my business. Um, so I'm looking forward to that one and a couple other talks in the, the Cloud Foundry for business track. And then there's some interesting stuff in, you know, Cloud Foundry for operators where, you know, you've got folks like T-Mobile and Comcast who are really testing um, and pushing the, the limits of, well, not even limits, but they're just 
just they're they're breaking through new new barriers of scale, right? And so they're they're able to share out some of their experiences of operating at scale that most other folks aren't yet at. And so um, I think that's going to be really interesting for those operators of the world who are uh, looking and dealing with those types of problems. Like what happens when we suddenly have, you know, 2000 developers on the platform and we've got 30,000 app instances and containers running on the platform. What kind of challenges can I expect and what are some insights that I can learn? So I think what's, and then the the user stories is actually really only a, it's almost like a half track. It's just one day there. We've got kind of just a a mix of different stories. Like we've got, um, you know, a a talk from NASDAQ about .NET and there's, um, you know, there is a talk from Comcast about running at, you know, massive scale. Uh, There's, there's a deep dive from State Farm um, that's called Cracks in the Foundation. So I know just given our talks so far, I'm waiting for the next time you're going to say speaking of foundations. Um, and so really their, their experience and, and sort of some of their lessons learned. So, um, I think that's, you know, I like that there's now more tracks and just more that where, where these kind of user stories can come out. I mean, they've, they've, it's always been an, an option for folks to submit to whatever track, but I think it makes a difference when, those track titles are something that an end user feels like, Hey, this is something I've got some wisdom to share um, on that topic. Whereas, you know, when it's kind of core updates, you know, that's, those are going to be a lot of the, the core committers, which, you know, most of the end users are, are not quite there yet. Um, you know, there's a lot of end users who are members of the foundation and are starting to contribute back, but you know, it's, it's still kind of early days for that. Yeah. So do you like this uh, switch? I remember from a couple of years back, there was like a track for Node.js. It'd be a track, as you said, for like core updates. So this kind of switched almost persona based and scenario based. Do you like that? Do you find that more welcoming or you think that's easier for a first timer? Who do you think that caters to the most? I'm, I'm optimistic about it. I mean, honestly, like until you're really there, I think you're not going to fully know like how it works out, but I think it opened up more. We were kind of running into where we didn't have enough space in the cloud foundry for the enterprise track the last couple of times to actually accept all the end user talks. And to me, that felt, you know, like, um, uh, it's a missed opportunity. And so I, I like that this is now providing kind of more places that I think are going to make it attractive for, for actual end users to, to submit and and get talks accepted. I mean, you've mentioned a couple of times that, I don't know, almost unusual amount of end user talks. So if we compare this, I mean, this is cloud foundry is a mature product project, right? So, I mean, compare that to, you know, we have a large presence at more of the up and coming shows as well, the cube cons and things like that, where it's mostly tech talks and a couple of customers presenting and that's natural. It's new tech. Do you think this is unusual? You attend a, a good number of shows is the amount of end user sort of, presenting their stories and not just like, here's how we tinkered. Like, here's how we're running stuff at scale. That strikes me as that's not something I see that often. Is that somewhat unusual here? I mean, I'm not, there's so many tech shows these days. Like I can't claim to have a a perfect view of the landscape. I mean, I do have perfect vision, but it's not, it's not for things like this. Um, Yeah. We're just, just kind of recycle that a little bit. Um, but I, 
I really like that about, um, you know, the, the, the cloud foundry summits and yeah, I do sometimes get disappointed when going to other shows and there's, or I'll, I'll look for the, the end user talks and find that it's not really about any kind of like an infrastructure software. It's something, you know, more of a end user application, um, or, uh, so for, from an infrastructure perspective, it's, it's really cool to, to see, you know, real end user kind of war stories, um, you know, or where you kind of end up with like a, a product manager is sort of doing like 90% of the talk and then they did manage to get an end user, but that person is just talking for like five minutes. Um, those sometimes also are a little bit disappointing. So uh, here it's sometimes it is paired with like the someone from, you know, say Stark and Wayne or Pivotal, but it's usually like it's the platform architect for Pivotal who's really there on the ground, who's really familiar with what's happening. They're not, um, they're not a product person. And, you know, Stark and Wayne is one of the, um, you know, systems integrator uh, consultants in the Cloud Foundry ecosystem. And, and so they've got a lot of, you know, good hands-on experience where when they're up there sharing the stage with one of these end users, it's, it's usually they've got a lot of insight into what's actually happening at that particular implementation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the last part, something else you mentioned earlier when you were describing the conference this year was the, the kind of 101 starter sort of track like introduction. If you look through that track, it is like, what the heck is Cloud Foundry? I've got one, a talk on just the sort of things you can run there. And again, for a mature technology, you might argue, gosh, don't you know already? But I think it's kind of neat we're doing that. Again, do you find that useful? Do you think that takes away that, hey, instead of a 101 track, we should have more deep dive stuff? Or do you think it fills a great niche in a show like this? I think it's great because I think the 101 experience isn't static. Um, And so there's, and this is something that, you know, even if you're internally operating the software, really any, you know, anyone who's built a platform, whatever you built it with, it's not static. And so whatever that, that 101 experience, whether it's the onboarding experience, it's the, you know, installation experience, it's thinking through like, how are you going to do your first upgrade? Um, all those things are potentially evolving all the time with whether it's, you know, new parts of software that are actually part of cloud foundry itself, you know, open source cloud foundry, or it's, um, you know, a new practice, a new methodology that's kind of emerged from more and more experience from folks who are doing it all, all the time. And so you kind of, you want to continue to refresh what the one one story is um, and, and not let that get too stale. So I think it's great. And I, and I like the, the kind of persona identification. So, you know, folks know, Hey, if I'm going to this conference, I, I know which talks are for me. I think it helps. Yeah. And I, I guess it sort of raises uh, the, the technical and uh, end user sessions, so to speak. I mean, that raises a little bit of what we were talking about with foundations earlier is, uh, if you don't have like a big commercial entity behind whatever the ecosystem to use an old term you have is, then there needs to be someone making sure the community talks with each other regularly and they know how to work with each other and what all the kind of uh, social graces or norms are. And that, that seems to like, that's where you get those fun phrases like birds of a feather, which mm-hmm. is an odd phrase, but I, I guess, I mean, that is like a nice opportunity to have at these, uh, there's basically three of these a year, right? In the U S and Europe and Asia. Did I make up an Asian one? I'm not 
I no, have to double check. I, I haven't been involved with. They should have one in Asia. That would be. Yeah. Good. But uh, I think they did do one in, in uh, China, but I'm not sure if they did it last year. So. Okay, that's probably why I remember. I'm not, yeah. I'm not just totally making stuff up, only halfway. But yeah, I mean that that seems like a, a a good opportunity to have people come together, and and usually usually you have some sort of uh, session during a, you know a keynote or whatever where the state of the community has gone over, which is fun. And then and then I guess they'll be releasing the uh, the Cloud Foundry Foundation survey or a new one. That's always fun to comb through, see lots mm-hmm. of bar charts and and how people are using things. So are, are there, are there any, uh, like, like of, of the sessions you've gone over, like what are, what are the, the must see ones that you're going to go to? And, and I ask that kind of enviously because I think they're basically, they record the sessions and then I think maybe a month later the videos come out and every now and then I come across like your notes on stuff and, and pictures. So like you'll, you'll get a, you'll, you'll have the content fresh before the rest of us do. To, to yeah. I, I always have fun kind of live tweeting and then, I, I try to write at least one takeaway, you know, within say a week. Mm. Um, I just find if you don't, you know, like it has to be forged in the fires of the, that moment. Um, otherwise, you know, those ideas start to kind of slip away from you, but I, I just sort of look for patterns across what users are doing. I mean, I still have some from the, the last, um, summit in Switzerland that are kind of kicking around. I'm just sort of looking around for a little more evidence uh, before I think I really sit down for those. But um, so let's see, just looking through the, some of the talks that I've got in that I've kind of picked out. I, I definitely want to hear kind of the, the NASDAQ story since um, I think, you know, .NET and windows, uh, workloads are, are super important. If you look at any major enterprise, it's, you know, they're, they're going to have a mixed environment. And so I think making sure that there's enough visibility on and, and shared experiences and lessons learned are critical really for, for enterprises to be successful with anything. So looking forward to that one. Um, I am looking forward to that, that state farm deep dive. It's uh, it's going to be a long one, but um that's that's definitely on my radar. There's two that are kind of about scale. There's um, there's one from Comcast and there's one from T-Mobile. Those are definitely on my my radar. Um, there's one from T-Mobile also on chaos engineering, which is one of those areas that I'm I'm kind of. It's come up now a couple times of uh, folks using Cloud Foundry and um, using chaos engineering. And so I'm trying to learn a little bit more about both the practice of chaos engineering as well as how people are using it within a Cloud Foundry context. Because, you know, um, you've got chaos engineering can apply, you know, fully up and down the stack. You, you can apply it at your very front end layers all the way down to hardware. Um, and then, you know, when we come back to that idea of the personas, right, there's one thing in a cloud foundry environment is you, you tend to have this kind of separation of concerns, if you will, between what the operators are responsible for and then what the developers are responsible for. Um, and one of the nice things about it is you get, um, like a lot of empowering for developers without really burdening them with responsibility. And I think that that's where, especially when you're talking about the application runtime, um, you, you get a lot of that, uh, 
kind of definition around who's responsible for what, but really then what what do they have to do to maintain that responsibility? So I'm curious how chaos engineering fits into that. Like, is that something that the operators are running? Is it something that developers should be practicing themselves? Is it something that there's another group that should be involved in? So I kind of want to hear more experiences around that. Um, there's another talk from the Air Force. Uh, so uh, Brian Kroger, who I know has been a guest on on your show, and Raytheon are co-presenting on um, testing, right? And just sort of the, the breadth of testing. And I'm, you know, interested in that. So I'd like to see what what folks are saying about how pervasive they're getting with their testing, since that seems to be one of the, the major secrets to success, if you will. There's a couple of talks around um, functions of a service and serverless. So there's, there's one from Comcast. And then, you know, our colleagues, uh, Brian and Brian, are giving another one um, sort of looking at Knative. And so that's probably another area I want to sort of see what, what folks are doing uh, lately. And, and how that's starting to manifest on the platform. So ba- basically um, you're going to go to every single talk. That's Well, no, I mean, like I can't. So I need to let other people know about these so that they can go and live tweet them too. Oh, they can take notes. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Oh, that wasn't what this exercise was. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what I was trying to get you to do for me. Yeah. Um, get the notes. Exactly. I know there's, there's a lot. No, this is actually like, I've, I've way filtered down the the number of talks um, from what, from what's there. It's just, these are the, the kinds of themes and stuff. I'm just sort of flipping through what my, my schedule looks like right now. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, here's another one. The, um, the team from West Corp has one about migrating 170 applications in 18 months. And, I've heard a little bit about, you know, the kind of extensive modernization replatforming work that they're doing there. And I mean, I think that, you know, digging into the whole modern, I mean, net net new is awesome and great, but really getting your house in order and dealing with modernizing or at least replatforming legacy workload is where the major value comes from. And so anything that kind of, shares lessons learned and wisdom around how do you do that and how do you do it at scale um, is I think going to be really valuable. So I'm really excited about that one too. Yeah. I mean that, that overview, like uh, uh, encyclopedic joking aside, it's a good example of, I'll have to remember this next time. Cause I'm always trying to explain like, you know, in the, uh, in the pivotal world, there's like, you know, all our great software and process and methodology. And then on top is this like culture and community thing, which of course, is not in the in the the cloud foundry world. It's not only pivotal, but it's you know we're, we're part of it. But as you were just going over, there's this community of uh, I think they used to say practice, like people sharing how they've done things and going over like best practices and I guess worst practices. Not only at the technology level, but also uh, like you're saying, like if if we're going to move 170 applications, there's definitely technical things to that, but there's a bunch of other things we need to worry about or how do we how do we uh you know between raytheon and the u.s air force like how do we make testing fine (laughs) because there is a lot of like technical part to testing which everyone's grateful for but there's also just like 
having the organization trust that those tests are good and truthful that you have to sort out usually. So, yeah, I, I mean, just, I mean, I think you provided a good example of like, this is, this is the community of people that after, I don't know, five or so years of cloud native kind of stuff that like has emerged and, and because you have stuff like the, the CF summit and other things like, uh, you know, it exists somewhere. You don't just have to uh, find it in the backs of magazines or whatever. Like, speaking of old magazines, do you ever do you ever read the Spencer F. Cat rumor column in E-Week? I wish that was around still. But uh, anyhow, that's a good overview. I'm looking forward to the notes. Yes. Yeah, it was uh, a nice part too in your summary domain. It was a nice highlight of there's a lot of Hey, what are we doing now? But there's a lot of futury stuff, as you mentioned, right? Fads, service meshes, a lot of Kubernetes, a lot of, so this is not just a backwards looking, like here's what we set up and how we run it. It's a lot of still what we're going to be doing next, which I think is cool as we look at still focusing on outcomes, as you mentioned over and over again, right? Still the software, it's the outcomes, it's the things that matter, but it's fun to also explore the tech that makes it possible. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for this uh, whirlwind tour of CF Summit in Philadelphia in what, just a couple of weeks, first week of April, I think. Yeah, I, uh, I hope folks can make it out. I, I, I think it's a great conference and um, I'm always busy like a bee. It's a whole week there. So um, lots to do. There's a user day, um, you know, before the conference really kicks off. There's a great unconference um, that happens kind of the night before. So some additional activities around the, the main event. As I, recall, as I recall, there's lots of cobblestone in Philadelphia, which is a, a strange experience if you're not used to cobblestone. Yeah, it's the, uh, across it, all sorts of stuff like that. It's the area I grew up in. So I need someone to f- join me on Monday as we go find a good cheesesteak because I am oh. that, that's happening Monday afternoon. So let me know if you'd like to join me on the hunt. Well, what is, well, there's two things I wanted to, to close on, but you've, you've raised up one of them now. Now, if people were going to do one Philadelphia thing, Richard, what should they do? Like, let's say, say they're at CF Summit. They've got yeah. 90 minutes to 120 minutes, right? Like, what are they going to go do? You go see the bell, get a cheesesteak? What's, what's, what's your, your number yeah. one? I mean, I was going to say throw snowballs at Santa, but that was a dark day for us in Philadelphia, so you shouldn't do that. Uh, <laughs> you should probably do the Independence Hall, Liberty Bell, get a cheesesteak. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they're kind of right on the street. There, if I yeah, remember, like there's, there's like that glass cabinet the Liberty Bell's in, if I remember. And then like a few ways over is the famous cheesesteak place, a few blocks over or something like that. Yeah, and baseball hasn't started yet. So or, well, I don't think they'll be home that week. So unfortunately, you can't catch a Phillies game and, and yell obscenities at players next yeah. time. What is it the, the Phillies monster? What's their... their- <laughs> They're uh, they like a big baseball or something. <laughs> no, the Philly fanatic. And then uh, fanatic. they have some, some creature from everyone's nightmares who does hockey gritty. So oh, yeah, great yeah. mascots. Yeah. He's got that giant head. Oh gosh. Yeah. He's yeah. in a yeah. square jaw and everything. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you spend the night on mushrooms or something. Gritty is going to show up. So <laughs> you can find those around the Liberty Bell. <laughs> And then, and then, and then, so, so Dormain, what, what is your tip? Like, what are, what are the best evening things? How should people plan out? Should they just go to a bunch of evening parties, only get a cheesesteak? Like, how should they, how should they deal with their evening time? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, uh, I never really think about this too much because I'm always making sure that there's at least one karaoke outing 
Um, well, that's your answer right there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, we're trying to figure out the karaoke situation in uh-huh. Philly. Like every city is kind of different in their, their karaoke scene. So, but you know, some, some folks over at Comcast are already working on doing the research. So like, it's really a team effort at this point and it's, uh-huh. it's going to be fun. Hopefully they're, they're emailing around a lot of PowerPoint decks with weighted Excel spreadsheets. So having to <laughs> And then yeah. they can come up with that executive slide of, of karaoke places. I guess, I guess they would know. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, know you're, giving, you're giving me some great ideas, Cote, of how to really um, in- power through this. Yeah. Kind of like make the, the process a little bit more rigid. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> That's right. Well, I thought you said you could only sing songs from the city you're in. So it's got to be nothing but songs from people who grew up in Philly. Uh-huh. Or songs about bells. <laughs> about it so you got boys to men i don't know what else you're doing oh, boys to men is from philadelphia wow Very okay cool. that's that's basically the fun fact for me of this whole episode was and boys to men is it bobby, know there was brown? A connection. bobby brown was in boys to men right or am i mixing up my boy no that, that's uh no that's not him he yeah, that's, no it's not poison uh Bell, Bell, Bell. No, no he's not i forget which one he was in New edition, poison. that would be a great alternate universe <laughs> maybe that's what happened in the watchman alternate universe is is uh, uh, right. and poison no that's not right <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah well well on that note uh, as always this has been pivotal conversations you can find dormain's lovely conversation i mean uh not conversation. It is a conversation now. Where where would people go for your podcast? Would they press maybe a, a double arrow button? Um, I mean, you have a, a better way of explaining how to find our podcast usually because it's the same place where you find this podcast. So if you found this one, the good news is you've also found the podcast I do with Jeff. That's right. You just need to subscribe so that you get both weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's no way I think now if you leave a review to like, you know, uh, qualify it as like, well, I like it. I like hearing Cote talk about meat and delicious things with Richard, but like Dormaine and her random, you know, analogies with Jeff, uh, you know, like you got to just bite the bullet leave a review for both. That's right. You, you yeah. can't, you can't only like Mindy or only like Guy Ross. No, you got to like them together. And you know, even though like Reggie isn't a person, <laughs> you just have to assume that Reggie is getting credit with whatever review you leave for, for wow in the world. Absolutely. Well, well, that's another exciting bonker balls episode. I, I think we've had, hopefully it's been a little help. You've learned something. And, uh, you know, you can find this podcast and remains all of the great podcasts over at soundcloud.com slash pivotal conversations with no space. You should try to put a space in to see what happens. Uh, that would be fun. Send us the results. And uh, hopefully you'll show you'll go to a CF Summit. You can do some karaoke and, uh, you know, see some bells, cheesesteaks. We'll see everyone next time. Bye bye.